Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In our sermon series, Trending, we are talking about trending topics within our news media that really strike a chord with people in their hearts. The way we follow news media in our world today is by how many people are reading and sharing about a particular topic on social media. I'll be picking up on these trending topics and pulling them out to discuss how God's Spirit is operating through these events in our world. I hope you enjoy. And now to read from Psalm 17, verses 1 through 7. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From you let my vindication come. Let your eyes see the right. If you try my heart, if you visit me by night, if you test me, you will find no wickedness in me. My mouth does not transgress. As for what others do, By the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from Genesis 32, 22 through 32. This is when Jacob wrestles with God. The same night he got up, took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose rose, rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so we are come, coming, or we have come, to the last of our sermons in our trending sermon series. And for those of you who haven't been here, or you were here and you just weren't paying attention, which I know happens from time to time, the way this series worked was each week we were looking at trending topics on social media, and we were asking the question, What does God have to say to us about these various events and topics that are impacting our lives? And the way that it usually works is we start with the scripture, we go through that, we extract some theme from the scripture, and then from there we look at something that's going on on social media. Today, 
I want to invert that. I want to break away from our normal pattern because I have to make a confession to you all. So when I got here in the fall of 2013, I began doing sermon series. I've actually done 12 since my time here. And like you, I have enjoyed some of these sermon series more than others. And this particular sermon series is... (laughs) I'm glad somebody laughed at that. (laughs) This particular sermon series was my 12th, and I thought that I would really enjoy doing this series. I thought it would be a lot of fun to do it, but in fact, it has become my least favorite sermon series by, like, leaps and bounds. Now, there were times, actually, when I was writing this series that I got to the point where I thought, I actually just think I might just toss this, like abandon it completely and just not do it anymore. And it's not for the reasons that many of you would assume. So I had a number of people come up to me and say to me, you know, this series sounds kind of hard because what we're doing is we're taking the lectionary, and the lectionary, you get four scriptures for a Sunday. So you have four to choose from, and then you have to find one of those that matches up with something on social media. And that was hard. It would have been way easier just to sit there and to find something nice on social media and then take it and blend a scripture with it from anywhere in the Bible. But that wasn't why I disliked this series so much. What I really disliked about this series was the commentary. It's called the thread on social media. The commentary that you read that went along with the stuff that I was researching. And it didn't matter what I was looking at. I was always dealing with this litany of, I don't know, racist, bigoted, prejudiced type of ignorant comments online. And it didn't matter what I was looking at. But let me give you an example just so that you can get a sense of what I'm talking about. So a couple weeks ago, I did a sermon on the Loving versus Virginia case. And that's the case that basically overturned all of the state laws that said you can't marry anyone of a different race. Those are the laws that banned interracial marriage. And so that Supreme Court decision overturned it and said the government is no longer allowed to regulate who you marry on the basis of race. Now, some of the stuff that I encountered, in fact, a lot of it was very good. It was people posting photos of their families or of their parents and their grandparents and how what the Lovings did, that sacrifice, really overturned an important thing, and it helped their own families out. But then, I also encountered a lot of people who felt very differently than that. These people, you probably call them white supremacists, but they would post things online saying that they disagreed with interracial marriage. They thought it was wrong. And it wasn't just the fact that they were posting their opinions about this. That would have been fine if you just post your opinion. They did it in the most vitriolic and hostile and hateful kind of ways. And then they would support their points of view with uh, facts. I use that word loosely here. So they would post statistics to support what they were saying. That they believed that if you got into an interracial marriage that you were diluting your gene pool. So let me give you an example. So one person posted this online. This is a national longitudinal survey, and a national longitudinal survey, just so you understand how they work, it's basically the government collects all this data, and then you have these nonpartisan people who come together, and they just crunch it, and they produce statistics on it. So this particular piece of data right here is what you see is the difference in distributions of IQ. And so according to this, 
People who are African-American tend to score lower on IQ tests than those who are white. Now, that's just a statistic, right? That's out there. It's from crunching numbers. And so this white supremacist used this statistic to say that if you are white and you marry someone who is black, then your child is going to be at a deficit because they've inherited black genes and therefore will have a lower IQ. Now, this assumes, of course, that IQ is based entirely upon your genetics, which it is not. There's a small portion of your IQ that has to do with genetics. Much more of it has to do with your environment, where you're raised. And what we have seen in study after study is that people who grow up in impoverished environments, that they test lower on those IQ tests that are given out. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white. You can be white living in a rural part of the country. You can be black living in an inner city. The fact is, if you live in an impoverished area, you're probably going to score lower. It's not across the board that way, but generally speaking, that's what happens. And so, looking at this, what this is showing us, in my opinion, is that African Americans tend to live in much more impoverished areas than their white counterparts. But this wasn't the only place where I experienced a lot of prejudice and racism. It was everywhere that I was looking online. People just kept posting all of these things. And it was true of all kinds of different topics. So uh, another one that wouldn't shock you is whenever I did anything about Islam, there were a lot of things that people would post. Let me show you a few examples of some of the things that people put up there. So this one right here says, nothing says happy. It's for Muslim women. It's the first sermon I did in this series like wearing a heavy black bag over your head in 120 degree heat. And then, of course, their hashtags are Sharia law, Islam is the problem. Another one would be this one. This is a meme that somebody put out, and it's basically saying that women are going to stay free in America, and there they put something in the meme that says, I mean, it's real hard to be free when you are bought and sold in the marketplace. And then there's another one that goes on. If you like... Nike, the Nike hijab, you'll love the new high-performance Nike stones. Now that's the stuff I can show you in church. It gets way, way worse from there. And so each week, I would sit down and I would read through this commentary. And it made me so depressed to read all this stuff that oftentimes I would just step back and I would be like, you know what, I'm done for the day. I don't even want to write this anymore. And that's why it made this series so hard to actually get through. It's because of all this stuff. And I, as I was reading it, I, I started to think to myself, even if I believe these things to be true, I don't think I would post them online. I think I'd be ashamed of myself to post them online. But given the amount that you see all this stuff out there, clearly people are not ashamed to put it up there at all. And so I began asking this question to myself. I began wondering, why is it that these people are willing to post this stuff online when I know for a fact that they would not be willing to post these things or say these things in normal society? They would never say this in a face-to-face -face conversation. And of course, you all know part of the answer to that question, right? Which is that the internet provides a cloak of anonymity. When you get on the internet, you don't have to reveal your true identity. So you don't have to deal with the same kind of consequences that you would normally have to deal with in the real world. Now, psychologists, they refer to this as the online disinhibition effect. 
And basically what it says is that the anonymity of the internet encourages people to reveal aspects of their personality that are normally held in check by societal etiquette or social rules. And what's so scary about this is not the fact that people are willing to just post whatever they want to post online. I actually think the internet is a wonderful place for the dissemination of information that you wouldn't normally get. What's scary about this is the fact that people no longer feel compelled to have a moral responsibility towards society. In other words, the anonymity of the internet, it has the ability to cause people to lose track of their moral compass and not understand the difference between right and wrong. And what's more, that when you feel this freedom, it can be rather addictive to write these things online. So in our normal day-to-day -day interactions, when you are interacting with people, the fact is, is that being with other people actually prevents you from saying whatever pops into your mind, right? Like there's the filter there is because you're with other people. In fact, there have been studies that have shown that the gaze of another person's eye actually inhibits you from saying negative things. So if you and I are having a conversation with each other, if we're speaking with each other, then when we look into each other's eyes, that is what is going to prevent us from saying these really negative things towards each other. Because ultimately, when we look into each other's eyes, what that does is it triggers an effect in our minds. And basically what happens is, I'm going to be much more empathetic, I'm going to be much more aware of what it is that you are saying, and I don't want to say things that are going to make you uncomfortable. And if I do say something that makes you uncomfortable, I'm going to change my words. Now, when you're online though, do any of those social cues exist? No, they don't. And so, when you're online, if you feel that you don't have a voice in your own life, if you feel you're not allowed to say the things that you're thinking in your mind, then all of a sudden, when you get online, the shackles come off. You don't have to be bound by the same things anymore. And for these types of people, the liberation they feel from this is something that really compels them to want to say it over and over again. They feel, they get this sense of control over their lives that they lack normally, and in a very real sense, they become a different person. Now, I personally, I've been on the internet since 92, a long time ago, and not as soon as Al Gore, by the way, but I was pretty close, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, when I was on the internet in 92, I, whenever I post something, I'd always put my name next to it, and I always have. I've never done anything anonymously online. But I wondered to myself, would I feel compelled to do so if I didn't feel like I had control over my life or I couldn't say what I wanted to say? And as I was thinking through it, I thought, you know, I'm not that different from a lot of people in here. I think bad thoughts, right? I can be judgmental of other people. I can have certain prejudices. And as I was thinking through this, I was like, yes, I'm just like everybody else in that way. However, I also know that I have this moral compass in my mind that prevents me from saying a lot of those things. And that's a good thing. And I believe that's a good thing. Whereas I think for these people who are out there, they actually are happy to have the barriers fall so they can just let loose and say whatever it is that they want to say. And so each week, I would sit down, I would write, and I was barraged with 
all of this prejudicial, discriminatory, racist, ignorant stuff. And I started to wonder in my mind, is this what these people actually think? Like, is this a real reflection of who these people actually are? Because if it is, that's a very scary prospect. Have you ever gone through and read the commentary online under some of this stuff? Because if you read it, and you start reading it a lot, like I was doing for this series, you come to realize that there's a whole contingent of people out there who would like for nothing more than to see Muslims, Jews, black people, anybody who threatens their way of life to be wiped off the face of the planet. And I'm not just talking about KKK members or reclusive, brooding teenagers who are posting stuff online to cause trouble. From what I can tell, because I started going into these people's profiles and looking for them, like, what is this all about? Who is this person? And as I piece things together, I realize these are just normal, average people who you and I interact with every single day. On the outside, they seem normal and balanced, but then you put them in front of a computer, the mask comes off, which was a real wake-up call for me because I wanted to think that this type of thinking was the exception and not the rule. But what I've come to realize is that there's a lot of people out there whose true selves represent the most deplorable aspects of human nature. And that's why I found it to be very interesting that our last scripture for this series was Jacob wrestling with God. And you're going to understand how these two things go together in just a second. But let me go through the story real fast so you understand what's happening. So, basically, you have this character from Genesis. His name is Jacob. And he has a brother, a twin brother named Esau. Now, the last time Jacob saw Esau is when Jacob stole his brother's birthright, and Esau wanted to kill him. So, they go their separate ways, and now, all of a sudden, many, many years later, Esau is coming to find Jacob, and Jacob is understandably scared. So, he's trying to get away from his brother Esau, but he's got too much stuff. He's got too many livestock, so he splits his group into two companies. One company has all of his livestock, and he sends that with some servants off to placate Esau. And then the other group has his family in it. And so he gets his wives and his children across the Jabbok River. And then he's about to go, but it's nightfall. And all of a sudden, this man comes out of nowhere and starts wrestling with Jacob. Now, the question that everybody asks when you read this story is, who is the man? Who is this random guy? Is it a human being? Is it an angel? Is it God? And there's some clues in the story that tell us who this person is. The first clue that you get is that when the sun is coming up, the man says, I need you to let me go. Now, why does he say that? Well, it was common in Jewish tradition to believe that humans could not see the face of God and live. If you remember from the story of Exodus, in Exodus, when God is writing down the Ten Commandments on the tablet, what happens is God tells Moses, cover your eyes. That way you won't be killed. Now, this distinction is very clear. Humans can see angels, according to the Bible, but they cannot see the face of God. Therefore, if this man was an angel, would he be able to see his face? Yes, he would. If he was God... No, you can't do it. And then we have a few more little details in there. Like, at the end, when the man disappears, Jacob says, or the scripture says, that Jacob calls this place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. Now, that word Peniel literally means the face of God. 
And that word for God that's being used is Elohim. Elohim is the same name for God that is used in Genesis chapter 1. Elohim literally means master of forces. And that is the same master of forces that created our universe. So I think the correct interpretation of this is that Jacob is wrestling with God in human form. Now, regardless of what you might think about the historical validity of this, this scripture tells us a lot about the struggle that I was having with this series. Because I came to realize that my struggle was not so much with the issue of what these people were saying online, but really my struggle was with the issue of where is God in all of this? Like Jacob, I was wrestling with God and I was asking myself the question over and over again, where does God exist in this? Because what was the point of this series? What did I tell you at the beginning? The whole point was to show you how God exists in everything that we do, right? That's what I kept saying over and over again, everything that we do. And I was looking at this stuff and I'm asking, I'm like, why is it that these people continually get the upper hand? Why is it that every time we seem to be taking steps forward to make the world a better place, these people come in and they get the hook and they just pull us right back? Why is it that this keeps happening? Where are you in all of this? And when are you going to show up to stop this from happening? Why can't I see you? Because here's the thing. When I was doing all the research for this, it was crazy to me how hard I had to look sometimes to find something that worked with the scripture. I really had to scour sometimes to find a trending topic that worked. And so it wasn't like God was just boop right there. It may have sounded that way when I was preaching it, but it wasn't that easy. So what I came to realize was that through this scripture, I understood for the first time the answer to my question on this. Because in the same way that Jacob is wrestling with God, because this story, it gives you the answer. He's wrestling with God, and the more he tries to pin God down, the more God becomes elusive, because he's trying to see his face, right? But he can't see his face, and he can't quite get him down. And the same is true for us. When we try to pin God down and say, why is the world the way that it is? Why do you allow this to happen? That's exactly the moment when we're missing the point. God is not like a puzzle that you can put together and fit all the pieces. And as a pastor, I can tell you I am very guilty of this because I always like to think to say, oh, this is how it all works, right? I know exactly how it fits together, but the moment you think you know that, it all falls apart. God disappears from your grasp. The entire point of this story is to show you that you can never pin God down. But if you are willing to wrestle with God, if you are willing to wrestle with those difficult questions, then you can change the world for the better. Because when you ask that question, where are you, God? Why haven't you done anything to fix this? That's when God flips that question back around on you and says, where are you, Alex? And why haven't you done anything to fix this? You are my hands in the world. At the end of this story, right before the man disappears, he blesses Jacob and he gives him a new name. What's that new name that he gives him? Israel, which literally means God prevails. If you and I want God to prevail in our lives, if we want to see love triumph over hate, if we want to truly make this world a better place, then we have to continue wrestling with God. It is so important, and it made me realize why it's so important through doing this series. 
Because these people who are posting all of this negative, hateful, racist, prejudiced garbage online, do you think they're wrestling with God? No, they are not. Because if they were, then they wouldn't be posting this stuff. Because if you're wrestling with God and you're trying to reflect God's unconditional love into the world, then you're not going to be thinking and saying those things. Wrestling with God is so important for maintaining our sense of morality in the world. It's so important for preventing us from giving in to those negative impulses that all of us have. Do you know the only difference between us and those people who post those things? The only difference is that we allow our moral compass to suppress the most deplorable aspects of our human nature. Without that moral compass, without wrestling with God and asking those questions, we too would give in to our evil inclinations. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would continue to wrestle with God, that you would continue asking those difficult questions, continue searching for God in the world. But remember, the moment you sit there and you ask yourself, where is God in all of this? That's when God flips it around and says, where are you in all of this? God's love is in your heart, and your love can go out and change this world for the better. There are so many people out there who are trying to tear us apart. It's up to us to mend the world back together. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.